This episode of Peas in a Pod is brought to you by the If I Was President card game, where you can make fun of not very fun U.S. politics. The If I Was President card game is a new role-playing card game that allows you to answer a question that you've definitely asked yourself at one point or another. What if I was president? Game participants act as presidential candidates and must improvise their way to winning the votes of other players of the game by choosing how to respond to real situations that occurred in 2020. With November just around the corner, this is a great way for you to stay civically engaged and learn more about the political minds of your friends and or family members. Go to ifiwasgame.com or the link in the show notes to learn more and order your game today. Hello, welcome back to Peas in a Pod. I'm Susan Beck, one of your hosts. We're so excited to launch our first episode of season three. But before you hear about the perspective, problem, pitch, passion, all of that of our first season three guest, I first wanted to shout out a very cool podcast that you should all check out. I'm actually sitting down virtually, of course, with this podcast's host. So Josh, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Hi, everybody. I'm Josh Nasser. I'm the host of Tell Me About Your Job. What is Tell Me About Your Job all about? So it's exactly what it sounds. I sit down with uh, different professionals in all sorts of different careers and ask them, what does your job actually look like? Um, I think there are so many people out in the world who are, you know, trying to find the career that's right for them. And a lot of times they don't even know that these careers exist, much less what they look like day to day. So I'm trying to kind of fill that role of informing people, hey, this is what this job actually looks like. That sounds super cool. Why should college students in particular listen to it? So I think a lot of people get into college and they think they know what they want to do. And then, you know, six months in, a year in, four years in, they realize this is not actually what I'm what I'm trying to do with my life. And I think a lot of that stems from they don't know what careers actually look like in the fields that they think they're interested in. I know I did that. My wife did that. So many friends have done that. So I think our show provides a unique perspective, um, allowing college students an inside look at what these career paths are actually like before they actually get into it and make those bigger life decisions. I definitely agree. I, as a huge believer in, first of all, podcasts, obviously, (laughs) um, and just like slow news in general you know, interviews and really getting to hear the stories of individuals, I think is super cool. Um, And like you said, I'm literally in that spot. Like I have no idea what I'm going to do with my life. (laughs) (laughs) I have no idea what I'm going to do after college. So I think, at least for me, I'm definitely checking out this podcast just to hear the actual unique perspectives of individuals in these specific careers and not just googling it and you know business insider (laughs) letting me know the top 10 things you would like to know about this job when in fact those are probably not things I should know yeah definitely I understand that struggle um, at a very personal level and I think a lot of people do so hopefully you and many others can uh, get a lot of good info out of it I think so too do you have any social media plugs honestly if you just look up at tell me about your job on Instagram and Facebook or check out our website, tellmeaboutyourjobpodcast.com. You can go to the link in the description to check out Tell Me About Your Job. And now back to the show. Hello, welcome back to Peas in a Pod. This is Susan Beck, one of your hosts. I'm no longer the only one. I'm also here with two other students who will also be hosts this season. Hi, I'm Nathan Gage. Hi, I'm Ava Belinsky. 
I miss you all so much. This is the season three premiere. I can't believe it's honestly been already two seasons, but um, of this is a season three premiere. This is the season three premiere. I can't speak <laughs> of Peas in a Pod, and we can't be more excited. One cool thing we wanted to do with the season, because we have three hosts and we're alternating episodes, is that we're going to record intros for each episode together with all three of us separately from the episodes themselves so that it's more candid and it's just more fun and you can hear all of our voices in each episode i don't know if you'll get sick of it but just i don't know for variety so hopefully that will be something that works and is fun so this first episode is mainly hosted by nathan to give context we were planning on co-hosting it me and nathan just because it was his first episode but i really don't host it i nathan asks all the questions i'm just on the side if i have an opinion i insert myself it's very um yeah so nathan's hosting it i take on this more producer-esque role where i provide fact checks i help monitor the call so you'll probably see that occur more frequently during this season we'll have a third or fourth person on the call as a producer with that being said we don't actually introduce me in the actual recording of the episode, so don't be surprised when you hear my voice randomly interrupt the conversation. But that's just something to keep in mind because we jump straight into the P categories. So Nathan, what did you and Kelton talk about in this episode? It was a really good conversation, actually. I really enjoyed it. And we talked a lot about um, him and his hometown. He's very involved with um, all of that. We talked about his Princeton life. And at the end, there was this... Um, really good conversation about music and our both uh, our love for like CD collections. Yeah, we it was super cool. I learned a lot just from Kelton's love of giving back to his home community. And he lives in a more rural area of Pennsylvania and he provided a very unique perspective of there's a stereotype of rural areas that is just not true, especially in Princeton where so many kids do come from more cosmopolitan areas. But yeah, super fun episode, super meaningful, and we do go on and on at the end about music. Very, very interesting. So the P's that we go through are obviously perspective, problem, pitch, passion, Princeton, pursuit, puzzle, Perrier, which Nathan didn't know what it meant. <laughs> he's, from, he's from England. But And then philanthropy. Uh, we also do pop culture and publication, pain, person, project, Princetonian, and priceless. So those were the P's we covered. So, yeah. Well, that sounds amazing. I'm very excited to listen. Yeah, with that, we hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, Kelton. How are you doing? Uh, not too bad. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Introduce yourself. Yeah. Um, well, first, thanks for having me. Hi, everyone. My name is Kelvin Chaslick. Uh, I am a senior in the Princeton School of Public and International Affairs. I use he, him, his pronouns. I am very interested in education policy. I think it's quite tough to delineate down as to like what areas. I mean, I'm really interested in teachers. I'm really interested in college access. Um, interested in a lot so it's really hard to delineate things um anything else i mean i'm a member of whitman college i, I could go i could go on but no that's it that's um, it. it sounds good 
Cool. So our first P is perspective. Where are you from? What makes your perspective unique? Yeah. So I was born in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania, um, which is, it's kind of hard. I always make the joke to people that I talk to at Princeton, just generally that aren't from my area. Like if you know where Chambersburg, Pennsylvania is, you get gold star because it is very not near anything. I mean, I, it's South Central PA. Um, I think a lot of, if you're like into politics, I think you would know kind of where it is because it's just outside of that Southwest Pennsylvania area that's really important politically right now. And yeah, I think it's a really interesting place to grow up in considering where I'm at now. I mean, generally at Princeton, I mean, there's been so much article work from the Daily Princetonian and just generally so much work about who's a Princetonian, right? Like historically Princetonians were white rich elites who were from the city who had legacy status whose generations of people have been at Princeton. I mean, I definitely, I'm a white man, I'm straight, but I think really a big difference between me and a lot of other students is just being from a farm town. And I, I don't think Chambersburg, I would never, it's very funny, I would never call Chambersburg a farm town to anyone who lives in Chambersburg, but comparative to where we are at Princeton, New York's being a smack dab in between New York City and Philadelphia, it's not nearly the same at all. And I think that makes my perspective a little different at Princeton just because I think growing up in a smaller community, there's a lot of there's a lot of access points that are quite different to my life and how I grew up than maybe other people's lives at Princeton. I used to make the joke that I was one of Chambersburg's children because I was using their public resources. I was using the public library. Um, I walked everywhere in terms of just like, I mean, walked on the road to go to, to school. I would go, I would go to the park after school. I would spend time at the public pool. I would be, remember we used to, after school, we would walk from the middle school to the high school and just like basically play football for an hour or two. This was like in my middle school years. Um, and I think that's quite different than like, if you live in a more suburban urban area where you may be taking the bus, you may be coming from point A to point B, you might not be going around looking, just kind of doing whatever. Um, and I also think too, like that combined with then the things that I was able to do, and I don't think that's necessarily something that's connected with being at a rural town. I think it's just like who I was as a person. Both my parents didn't go to college. They're blue collar workers. I mean, for the longest time, my dad, ever since he was out of high school, was a construction worker. My mom was a bartender for about 10 years and now she works taking calls for Citibank. I mean, I see them as two very blue collar people. And I think that's also quite different than at, being at Princeton. And I think the shaping of like who I am at Princeton is different because of those two things coming together. Um, having the opportunity to understand work ethic or this grit that I, that I would love for someone to say, like if they were introducing me, like Kelton's a gritty person, I would love to have that introduction. I see that in myself coming from here that maybe at Princeton, I wouldn't classify in the same way. I wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't, not to say that Princeton students aren't gritty in their own right, but I think like having my background coming from, I, I have used to say really nice ways, I'm blanking as to making it sound pretty, but um, <laughs> I, I definitely think like being from really hardworking family and hardworking, like I, I always tell a story, me and my father, we used to compete to see who could get out of the door first in high school. So 
I used to, I'm an athlete at Princeton. And so I would train in high school early in the morning. So that way I could practice and do some other things, work a job, things like that. I would get up at like 5 a.m. I would get in the shower and it would never fail that I would be getting out of the shower. Even there was, I think one time where I was like about to leave the door and my dad was like leaving to go work. And I was just like, every, like, I don't think he recognized, but every time I was like, I just wanted to beat him out of the door. Stories like that, I think encapsulate kind of my perspective um, that I think like, you're not going to speak to the majority of Princeton um, and hear them speak stories of like, yeah, I used to get up at 5 a.m. and cherish this like blue collar ethic, blah, 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 blah. That makes me sound so nice country rural person. Um, so I think that makes a big difference. I like that um, that thing you talked about of like what it means to be a Princetonian. And mm-hmm. I feel like, because um, I've, I've only been doing Princeton for like what, six weeks now and it's all been online. I don't really feel like a Princetonian yet. So like how... Do you feel less like a Princetonian now that we're all online or do you feel like the same interaction? I mean, I think it's, it's so tough to define what being a Princetonian is. Like, I think I look at it from the perspective of also being like a first generation low income college student. Um, There's a quote that I can't take credit for myself, but I remember speaking to alumni giving and um, Dean Christina Gonzalez was doing the presentation before we spoke as a panel. And her final quote in the presentation was, Princeton doesn't happen to you, we happen to Princeton. Um, And I think that it's quite tough to quantify, like now specifically, um, given the the recent virtual learning and being at Princeton from a distance. I mean, I definitely can imagine as a first year not feeling like you go to Princeton University. All those memes are like, yeah, I go to Zoom U and (laughs) that's my alma mater right now. Um, I think that, I think it's quite hard to quantify what it is to be a Princetonian. I mean, I think that it is a little tough. I think it's also because of the things I do. I mean, not being around my track and field teammates, not being in meetings in with my um, my student volunteer council executive board, not being in the room in the Princeton Access and Inclusion offices. Like, it's really tough to feel like I'm a part of Princeton because that was what Princeton was for me. I mean, classes are great and all, right? Like, we love we come to Princeton because of the academics, but. For me, Princeton is more so the people outside of the classroom, the teachers. It's more getting to meet staff members, faculty who are outside of academic departments, the students who I work with. And it's really tough to quantify that now. So I guess, yeah, to make it a little more clear, I think just a little bit, it feels distance from being a Princetonian. I definitely agree. And I definitely feel it's going to feel, I think it's going to feel a lot better when I am on campus, like just being immersed in everything. but yeah, we'll, we'll move on to problem now. So what is something you think should change? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think when I was thinking about the, the question sheet and thinking about like what what problems are there? I mean, this is such a tough question to answer when- There's so many like, problems America is just in Yeah, America is just in turmoil right now. Like we got the most important election in American history mm-hmm. for just, because duh, right? Like it's so important right now. We have the COVID-19 pandemic, which at this point has taken 211,000 lives. It's a crazy number to say. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, We also have a really important racial reckoning that a lot of people have to do in this country. Um, Plus, I think there's also issues with Princeton that every day to day as a college student, Mm -hmm. I, I see. I mean, I think the one big thing that 
has been tough to quantify or the way I would answer this question, I guess, if everything was normal was just thinking about the student experience at Princeton in a more complex and intersectional way. I don't think students think about it that way quite often. So I use my, my Princeton experience or me at Princeton as an example. I think a lot of students originally when I came to campus through the Freshman Scholars Institute, uh, at that time I was actually playing football. Um, I don't play football anymore, but at that time I was gonna play football. And a lot of people looked at me as like, this kid's an athlete through and through. That's why he's here. Um, but now as a senior, I mean, I'm doing so many different things than what I expected to be doing at that point. I mean, I'm not, first, I'm not doing football anymore. Um, I'm, I'm on the track and field team. I'm a shot putter. I'm really proud of being on that team. I'm an RCA in Whitman College. I'm the co-chair for the Student Volunteers Council. I can go on a long list and make me sound really good. But I mean, there's a lot of things that I do. <laughs> but I think still a lot of people could try to boil down specific students into one role. And I think that's really pertinent with athletes. Um, I mean, every conversation I have with student life or, and student life being broad, like service groups, I'd spend a term on the USG. I mean, just generally, I think they're always termed as athletes and they're not looked at as students. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that that's like a big issue. And I think like athletics has its own issues. I, there is an article I read, I can't remember who wrote it. It was last year, but it was about just like how athletics was kind of almost another um, legacy admission. I thought it was a really interesting read. Anyone that's listening to this, if, if it sounds something that's interesting, I recommend it. And I think like that's its own issue of like, I mean, to be really good at your sport, it's really easy to spend a lot of money, get coaches, have the right equipment. Um, I'll try to, to find that link. I'll link it in the description. Sorry, continue. Yeah, that'd be wonderful. No, no problem. <laughs> I mean, I think that, that that article points out some some – I think athletes more generally were kind of upset, but as someone who is a first generation college student who I actually work pertinently on the, the, the intersection between like being the first person in your family to go to college and then also being a student athlete at a place like Princeton, um, where there's so many resources for students who are the first people in their family to go to college. Um, there's so many resources for those students, but there's an intersection there for student athletes that I think is interesting because I just don't think students generally think of student athletes as people that represent the university. Um, I think a lot of people in conversations that I've had throughout this, these four years, I've, I've, you hear the rumors, you hear the conversations about like, yeah, student athletes are here because they can throw a ball and they're so special and they don't deserve to be here. And fine. Like you can help have those arguments, but like, there's also consideration to like who certain students are. And this, this I think this is a problem that can be generally talked about um you can you can zoom out from student athletes is like i mean students do so many wicked incredible things here like I, I mean even you two that are hosting this podcast like you obviously are brought to this work because you think this is important and you're doing this work i mean this is a cool project like when i was a high schooler my freshman year i didn't know what princeton was and so coming here and getting the opportunity to speak with so many amazing cool i don't want to use the word cool and cool over again but like just sort of like really incredible people um i mean i think it's a shame that as students we try to define other students in like one way um yeah and so it's quite tough like every time i've had i remember this story um i won't say names but i remember when i was when i first got to fsi i had this experience they'll, if they listen to this they'll know who who they are but i had this experience with two two students who 
are not the same race as me. They're not the same gender as me. And I just remember like speaking to them and thinking like, wow, I have so much learning to do. Coming, this goes back to perspective, like coming from Chambersburg, Pennsylvania, which is rural, it's a red area. It's this idea. Um, David Brooks is a like a columnist, like a really famous conservative pundit. He, he used to say that it was like Philly on one side, Pittsburgh on another side of Pennsylvania, you have Alabama running down the middle. Like that's like, I'm in the Alabama part. And so like, <laughs> it was, I, it was so amazing to come to Princeton and meet students who are so like, they're so different than like what I was used to. Um, and I don't know necessarily like that is to say, Oh, Kelton, you're such a good person. Give myself a pat on the back. You're such a good person for realizing this. But like, I just wish that students would take the time more often to like look and see who's who they're in their classes with, who are living in their, in the same hallways mm -hmm. um, on zoom. It's so hard to do that too. Like, there's so many different things that I don't know about people I've spent the last three, four years with. And I think that is a shame. It's weird for me um, coming into a place like Princeton, because obviously in the US, this is like this massive institution that everyone knows about. But with the people I have at home, like I say, I'm going to Princeton and they're like, where? Yeah. Like, where, where in the UK yeah. is that? <laughs> well, I think that, I think not to interrupt you, but that happens to me too. I mean, I think that idea of like Princeton being like, oh, it's Princeton. It's the number one school in the United States. Like that idea is kind of held in these like more normalized like populations that are coming to Princeton. But when I when I committed to Princeton, I had so many friends were like, what is that? And then I was like, yeah, do you know Harvard? And they're like, some say yes and some would say no. And it's like, let's like Harvard. Um, the way that I do it, the way that I introduce it is I say, um, oh, Carlton went there. Carlton from Fresh Prince, he went to the Princeton. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, like the cultural references about Princeton is a really good way. But I, I mean, I've had that experience. And I think those shared experiences, like we had two very different means as to that conversation. Like that conversation is because you're just you're not in the United States. It's you, you're in the UK. Me is like from the populations and the, the, the community that I'm around, like that is an unknown dream that is just in the last couple of years been kind of raised to our student population as a, as a viable op like option. I mean, students knew what Princeton was, teachers knew what Princeton was, but they never were actively telling their students like you can go to Princeton. Um, mm -hmm. Sorry, I just, I wanted to like share that. Like, I think a lot of some <laughs> students here like, that happens. I mean, that definitely happens. We're like, what's Princeton? And then you're like, oh, and then to other people, you're like, oh, I got a school in New Jersey. And then because if you make you say Princeton, <laughs> it's a huge deal. Um, it's really funny. Mm -hmm. I wanted to touch on the um, first gen low income athlete kind of experience. How do you think that's different to like everyone else's? Well, I think so. I let's see. When did I start talking about this and trying to like, I realized this, I think maybe after my first year at Princeton, I was realizing that I think it's quite easy to quantify the difficulties of being a first generation college student at a place like Princeton, um, not having the social capital like other people do, understanding what college is, understanding what it's like to be away from home, what it's like to have to get a job when other people may not have to, um, understanding the structure of office hours, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's well documented. And I think it's also well documented the differences of being a student athlete at Princeton. You are expected to have better time management skills. You're sore. I mean, you are sore when you go to <laughs> class. Like you have to get up early and go to bed, go to bed early so that way you can train 
efficiently throughout the day, you travel to compete and represent the university. I think it's really well documented. I thought to myself, and this isn't just me, um, another teammate I, I had, Ovi Amici, um, who's a discus thrower on the, the women's side. And she's also an FSI. I mean, if she hears this, like, I just want to shout her out because she's such a wonderful person. <laughs> um, we had this conversation once where it was like, you know, it's quite tough to handle all this athletic stuff, trying to compete and try to be at a, at a high level, representing the university. When you also like thinking about what's going on at home, like getting a job, like I, I'm fortunate enough to have jobs on campus when we were on campus that I could be flexible and, and work morning so that way I could practice through the day. I mean, even being a track and field athlete, like I'll be honest, it's a little easier to kind of move my schedule. If I was still a football player, if I, if I played basketball or another sport that another sport that is so intense in practice, like it'd be so difficult because you have to try to make money. You have to try to fight these institutional burdens that you're just not used to. And I think that's, I think that's not well talked about. And so a few years ago, after me and Obi had had this conversation, we worked to try to start the, the SIF players group. It hasn't really, honestly, it really hasn't gotten a lot of traction. And I think we were getting traction last spring and then COVID-19 happened and we kind of have to start from scratch. But I mean, even, even this COVID-19 pandemic, I think it's a highlight. Like I see a lot of my teammates training and throwing and just as normal. But for me, like I don't have a weight room in my garage. I don't have yeah. a circle at my house. Like, like that's a fact. Like I don't have this. Yeah. Um, I mean, my, my circle is at a school and I, if I can't, if the schools are shut down, I can't go to the school and just say, Hey, I'm going to train here. Um, which is what <laughs> I normally do. And I think like that alongside, like just the, like the economic struggles of what COVID-19 has brought upon millions of people. I think I saw earlier, like 63 million unemployment claims. Like wow. that's just bonkers. Right. And so like, mm -hmm. like I think even the COVID-19 pandemic is, made me think of new, new realizations. Like for me, I can't take a gap year. I just can't. Whereas I had mm -hmm. teammates who were asked like, Hey, are you going to take a gap year? And for me, like, I just can't, because if I take a gap year, then I need to go get a job. I need to spend time. That's going to hurt my training. And I might as well. I mean, I'm at, I'm at, the, I'm at the door of like this incredible dream of mine that I didn't even know about four years ago. Like I'm here ready to rock. And so, I mean, I think it's something that, through a few conversations I've had with other student athletes who also identify as being a first generation low income college student I've had, but I think it's a, it's, it's a, an identity that students who have been at Princeton have not talked about. And I think because the fly community is so robust at Princeton now, and that because mm -hmm. every year SIFP is growing by 200 students, it sounds like now there's a space to say, you know what, like I am one of these people and I see these issues. Um, and I think that it's, I think it is really pertinent, especially because if, if in the athletics department, if you want your student athletes to compete at the highest level, then you have to also think about not only who they are as students in their academics, but who they are as college students, student life. And I think that's mm -hmm. something that in the next few years, I would really hope that continues to be talked about. I have some numbers. So currently 25.5 million receiving unemployment benefits but that's not nearly as many as people who are actually unemployed. And then last week alone, 840,000 people filed new unemployment claims. Wow. I think um, something very interesting as well that I think about um, is the election and how COVID-19 has affected the election. Because 
at the start of the year, I was like sure Trump was going to win. But now I'm, I don't know. So yeah. um, how do you think that was going to play out? I mean, I think the election is so weird because like, I remember in 2016, I was actually like in the bedroom behind me. Uh, I moved bedrooms because when I came home, I didn't even have a bedroom. I basically made this. I was, I remember trying to get on Zoom, like, oh, what's going to make me look good? <laughs> I got to figure out where. You have a great <laughs> setup. You have a great um, setup. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate The bookshelf, the um, quote. It's great. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Um, but I remember because I went to bed with CNN on watching it, thinking like, it's over. I'm not worried about it. I might've had a football gamers. I'm actually in November. I wouldn't have been playing football anymore. I might've just been like, I'm going to catch up on sleep at that time. And then waking up at 4am or 3am through the night and then seeing it and just being like, like, <laughs> like just like defeated Scorpion. Like what just happened? Like I didn't, I mean, the tough thing is, is like coming from where I'm from, I think this perspective thing is also plays important. Like I live in Trump country. Like it's yeah. just a fact my personal morals, my views, my political views, like didn't want him to win. But I, I felt like living where I lived, he could win at that point. Mm. And like, I mean, there were so many things in my high school before during the homecoming parade, there was actually a, the economics club was like, had Trump hats and Trump flags, like the year leading up. That was weird. And then after he got elected, so Chambersburg, what I think is really important, there's actually a, a huge Latinx population in Chambersburg. Um, I think it's upwards of 15 to 19%, which when you think of farm town, rural, white, conservative, like you don't think Latinx. And so we have a huge population of those, those students. It was a funny story, but like ninth grade counselors came to me and said, will you get on the announcements? Cause we're finding that like literally students are telling other students to go back home. Like they're like, go wow. home. And I don't know why they told a white kid, a high school senior, to get on the thing, like they put in a vest, a <laughs> principal, like, I don't know why they asked me to do this, but I remember like, like in December, they were like, I had to say, like, I said something like, like, Hey, stop doing this. Like, stop being idiots. Like respect mm -hmm. your classmates. And through the last three years, I think being at Princeton, I was really in this weird space where like, I didn't have to deal with Trumpian politics. I didn't have to worry about, political views or political conversations. I was at Princeton. I was doing my thing. I was throwing a shot put. I was trying to do all these great things back home from afar. But being home as a political junkie, like I, I follow politics a lot. I watch the news every single day and I think about chambers with politics. And, and I think what's really striking is like, as much as there's Trump signs and, and Trump banners and I'll drive past a certain place and there's a crane that actually has like at one point, I think this was in 2016, it had a, a Trump Trump for president and then Hillary for prison uh, flag on it also. What I think is really interesting is there's a lot more Biden signs. And I, I mean, New York, actually, this is a really great plug. The New York Times actually did an article about our protests were happening in my hometown. And I thought it was amazing. It was a really funny. I run, so I, I think I highlighted this, I run a nonprofit in my hometown um, the Chambers of Recality book drive. And we actually were at that protest. We were doing a campaign that was the idea of my twin brothers, the Amplified Black Voices campaign. And we were literally tabling at these demonstrations where we're like, look, we are going to go purchase, collect books by Black authors, poets, musicians, um, academics, and hand these out. And the New York Times, we actually were like, we just want to get pictures for our own 
for our own social media and just like highlighting this work that we were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the New York Times photographer, we had just asked her on a whim. We didn't know she was New York Times. We asked her on a whim, like, hey, like, would you be willing to take her picture? And she's got to take my camera. And I was like, oh, thank you. And then she's like, I'm from the New York Times. And I was like, <laughs> what? And like, why are you here? And I think that story highlights really like the, the shift between um, there's also a really good piece. My girlfriend, Madison Mellinger, class of 2023, she put in the prints about just like living in Appalachia. Um, like, I think everyone at Princeton thinks of Appalachia and rural areas as Hillbilly Algae um, by J.D. Vance, I think is the author. Um, everyone thinks of rural, like we're all on the, like addicted to opioids and we're all like really rural conservative Trump supporters. And that's just not the case. And I think being home these last like nine months has really supported that. Um, having, the, having the wonderful opportunities to do great nonprofit works, work on, um, I was working on the um, food insecurity task force for the county. I was doing some really amazing things these last few months. And I think in politics, like I wouldn't be surprised if, if election night happens in Franklin County and some shift, like shifts blue. I don't think that'll happen, but I just, I wouldn't, if that would happen in 2016, I would have been shocked. If it happens in 2020, I, I wouldn't be as shocked, um, especially wow. with, yeah. I think also like our district attorney in Franklin County is a Republican, actually made state news in condemning what happened with police violence saying like, we need to do this in supporting the Black Lives Matter movement. And he got a lot of flack for it. Um, Matt Fogel is our DA. And he, I remember actually looking on Twitter I follow a few Princetonites, Kevin Cruz, I think he made a tweet about it. And I was like, that's where I live. Um, I mean, I think like politically, it's such an interesting time to be living, but also like where I'm living, I think that perspective is so different because it's very easy to be a Princeton to be in an echo chamber, but because I'm here, like I've been way more involved with politics. I've been trying to get people to vote. I'm a vote 100 ambassador, state ambassador for Pennsylvania. I've been way more involved with the election that I don't know if I would have been if I was at Princeton, I think that's like an un like nothing's good out of this. Like I would not <laughs> want to be here, but I think that's one like thing that's drastically changed is I've been way more involved with politics and, and voting here at home because of all of this. As you read that article, the New York Times article, um, no, the one that your girlfriend did in the Princetonian. Oh yes, uh, it was a it's wonderful really article. And the the thing that I was thinking about during it was how people from the UK view people from the US. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> there's like two groups um, that we see or that we think of as American. And the first one is like the surfer people like in like California, mm-hmm. like the surfer bros. Of like, um, and then the second one is like rural America, like hillbilly kind of things. And I, it, it's strange. It's weird. I don't know why that's a thing, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's also like, that's generally how Americans view America. Like it's just like, so weird like i think a lot of people i've had i've actually spoken to professors and though they won't talk politics with me until i bring it up because they think like oh i'm from franklin county pennsylvania i must be a conservative supporter and that's just not the case and so i think Mm. i think madison's article i think that's also like i know i i wanted to shout her out as like that princetonite but i think that article and the work she does is really important because it highlights similar to the issue that I brought up around Princeton students more generally is like just taking time to dissect like who people are actually like we aren't all gun toting hillbillies (laughs) on a farm 
how tip like it's just not the case like all those stereotypes it's just not the case i mean that's cool i'll tell her you you read it she'll be really she'll be really happy about that because she worked so hard i mean it was her summer project she worked so hard on it i was with her i actually helped her take photos sometimes and she'll really appreciate that if you missed my spiel at the beginning of this episode i'm here to remind you that you can order your very own if I was president card game, the sponsor of this episode and the perfect game for you and your friends to stay politically engaged through the presidential election season. Go to ifiwasgame.com to learn more and order your game today. Now back to the show. Um, so I know we went on a bit of a tangent, but now is pitch. How would you go about making that change? And I know you already are and it's very yeah. cool, but. Yeah, I mean, ahead. I think, I mean, I definitely think that in the spaces I've been in, in more like student leadership roles, I've tried to be not only considerate of the first generation college student perspective, but also the student athlete perspective. Um, I think this is a hot take. And I don't like, if athletes listen to this, they'll be like, shut up, Kelton. Like you, you don't say that. <laughs> but I've always, I've always wondered like what it would be like to take the 4.30 to 7.30 block out. That block being when there's no classes. Because I think mm-hmm. what happens is that, like, athletic, like, athletically, I love that. That's perfect for me. But it also is perfect for student groups to put all their stuff during that time. And so what we find is, like, all these service groups, like, they go out through the week from 3.30 to 7.30. And when they ask, like, why aren't athletes getting involved? It's because they're practice. Like, they're training. Like, they want to, like, I can't just leave practice. I mean, especially track and field, it's a, it's a whole, it's all year round. I'm training as hard as I can to compete. Um, the same thing with just other student groups. Like I always think about decisions made by student leaders. So when I think of like the undergraduate student government with the, the recent law parties announcement, like just like, this is, I think more so like the, the first generation college student perspective, but like when it came out, they spent, I think it was 80,000 in my, I might be, jumping the numbers but a large amount of money like of course people were going to be like what the hell because you have first-gen low-income students who are hurting and like that are that are struggling right now and it's like let's throw i don't want to say throw money but like let's put money towards this lawn party thing when we have students who could really use that money um Mm -hmm. and so i think whenever i'm in the room i always try to take a step back and think about who i am and who 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 would i represent in these conversations I remember once in a student conversation, we were taught, literally the conversation was like, how do we get more first gen low income students in the room? And I said like, and everyone looked at me and I was like, I was kind of pissed. Cause it was like, you expect me to figure out the problem. And it was like, yeah, yeah. like it just was frustrating. And it was like, we can't even have this conversation because you're not thinking about the issues at hand. And so when I think like student athletes, like, I always think that that 4.30, 7.30 block is a great example for athletes practicing. I always wonder, like, what would it be like if we said for student groups, like, okay, you have to figure out through the time of the day, schedule it when it's good, doodle throughout the day. I wonder if it would be a little more equitable. I also think for first-generation low-income students, like, it comes with from within. Like, I I don't know if this is the case, but I would like to say that I'm I can be a mentor or a student leader for other first-gen low-income students on campus. Like, I would love to say that. And every student I advise, whether it was being an RCA in Whitman or I was an RCA for an FSI virtually this summer, like every single one of those students, I try to say like, you can do really incredible things. You can get involved with awesome things. I always try to connect them with 
upperclassmen, Nathan, I think it sucks that you won't be on campus and get to meet seniors. Like that sucks. And so getting the opportunity to make those connections, I think like, I think it comes like just in person, like personal touches of like trying to make sure that for people, for people that have the same identity of being a first generation college student like me, thinking about how can I, how can I lift them up as I climb? How can I be able to say, let's think about who's in the room let's think about like how this is going to affect our students when we do, for example, I'll pitch like the student volunteers council, we're doing SVC combos and thinking about like related issues to COVID-19 and some of the projects we do, some of the areas that we, we try to think about. But I think a lot of those conversations were born out of like, what are we doing as a, as a council? What are we doing? Not only when we're going into Trenton and serving the people we work with there, but then our own students, like, are we letting them reflect like some of these students, they come into this room having lived certain experiences with those issues. Like me personally, like education is quite important to me because I've seen what it's done for me and in certain other issues, like I've had lived experiences where that's pertinent to me. And so I've been definitely thinking a lot about just like as students, how do you, how do you get like the, the beautiful quote of how can you lift up people as like, as you can climb into thinking about, Who's in the room? How do we get more people in the room? How do we let them do what they want to do? Like, it's one thing to put them in the room that there's always a quote of like, it's one thing of getting people from marginalized communities or people that are from the minority group into the room. And it's another thing for letting them do the work. Um, I think, I think I think a lot about that. Yeah. I think that's really important. And I think throughout the next few years, I think what we'll see is more people being able to step up meet more people being able to get into the room and making it making it possible to do that work, uh, making it possible to say like we have first generation college students who are leading in the cert like in, in community service areas on campus. They're leading in student groups. They're we can have people that are running for USG and and being able to speak up for first generation college students. I mean I think really it just takes some elbow grease from students who have the privilege of being like I have the privilege to be in those spaces right now telling other students and helping them get into those spaces too I think that's such a good quality as well uh, like wanting other people to thrive with you like I think it's a good thing to do it on your own obviously but I think taking other people with you is such like a more powerful being like way of being mm-hmm. so yeah yeah um okay we're gonna move on to passion and I think you've got a lot of passions, but is there anything else that you want to touch on? <laughs> um, I think I'm really passionate about, I was actually going to say, it actually feels really nicely just about thinking about my home community and who, who's there. So I do so like, I do lots of work thinking about how can I raise the aspirational capital of, of high school students in my hometown. I think about how can I provide, like having the privilege to be at a place like Princeton, how can I take some of the best parts from Princeton and bring it back home? Um, and so I'm really passionate about thinking, how can I get back to a place like Chambersburg that I truly do think has given me so much. It's giving me this, this really pertinent perspective to me to go into Princeton in a specific type of way. Um, there's this quote by Maya Angelou that I, I honestly think I should just get tattooed on me, but um, it's, um, I come as one, but stand as 10,000. And I think that is like the most beautiful words ever written together. Cause I think it does highlight like who I am at Princeton because 10,000 people in Chambersburg, 
my family, the community members I've worked with, the coaches, the teachers, the administrators, the people I worked with at the grocery outlet, shout out to the grocery outlet, um, people that I had the opportunity to meet and obviously shaped some kind of ideals in me. Now, being where I am, how can I bring some of the stuff back? And so, I mean, I, I like I was saying, I founded and co-direct the Chambersburg Holiday Book Drive. So we've been doing, it's kind of a, well, it's, first I want to say it's kind of all over the place because the name is very symbolic of where we started and now we just do so much um, different things. But we originally started with the idea of just donating um, 200 books to a local shelter. And this was a project that was inspired by actually a conversation with me and Madison figuring out what we were going to do for Christmas. And we ended up our first, our first giving season, we gave 5,000 books to over 15 organizations. And it was wicked because we're doing stuff at home. Like we, I was in Princeton doing all this stuff away from home. And I think that really lit a spark under my ass. Like, Oh, we can do some stuff here. Let's, let's see what we can do. And so I've been doing that and donating educational resources. And we've been able to mentor, we do a, a peer mentorship model in that, and that college students get to mentor high school students, not only through this server service mentorship model, but um, just to ask any questions about college or just, life in general. And I think we've seen the fruit of our labor there. I mean, having the opportunity to see students go into some really wonderful things. Um, I've been able to do, I was talking about this before the podcast, but I'm launching a pod, my own podcast in back home called Chambersburg to College. And so thinking about celebrating and uplifting stories of students going to college and not just like the whole like, oh, I go to Princeton, I'm so great. You should go to Princeton too, but really like the difficulties of, of applying to college, getting your taxes set up, getting your FAFSA set up, doing the college common app, doing all these things your senior year and being frustrated and with, with decisions and even maybe denials. Um, and then uplifting like what it means to be actually be in college. And so I actually have my first podcast tomorrow night. I really hope it goes well. Um, I know it'll go well because the person I'm speaking with is a wonderful person. Uh, but I, I guess all that to say, like I'm really passionate about some like just my home and like being able to serve at home, like to be in this place where I'll say it, I've said it like two or three times. We'll probably cut it out a couple of times, but um, <laughs> just like being able to say, just being able to say like, I really like my freshman year, Princeton was not a thought I had. Like it wasn't until I was recruited. I remember getting my first college football offer to Columbia university. And my mom was like, what's Columbia. And then I was like, that's where, president obama went to school and she was like what and then from there it changed everything um so being in that position being in where students are now where they may be freshmen sophomores juniors where they don't even know if they're going to go to college or they don't know where they're going to go or they don't know what they're going to do being able to give back to that i mean i see that as a passion for educational access more broadly but if i can start my home community right now and hopefully go on to be doing some work at the state level, at the federal level, level, doing something incredible like that, that would be wonderful. Um, that's definitely something I'm passionate about. I just have two quick thoughts. Number one, huge fan that you're making a podcast. Obviously, <laughs> me as someone who created a podcast, huge fan of podcasts. I really believe in the power of telling stories um, and the power <laughs> of slow journalism, if that makes sense, right? Like, obviously, this isn't, Peas in a Pod is not a journal. We're not 
but I don't really know what other way to describe it is, but it's not fast Mm -hmm. social media notifications, right? These are complex stories that you can really get the nuances out of versus watching the news and it pinging everything related to Trump. But that was just my first thought. Second thought is I really respect your love of home and your willingness to give back because honestly i this just goes to the value in listening to other perspectives i'm the opposite in a way because i grew up in a community where i always wanted to leave like i always wanted to leave home Mm -hmm. for college and it's not because i didn't like my like i love my high school friends and all of that but there's it's literally the opposite from your experience everyone at my high school wants to go to an ivy league so i Mm -hmm. hated the toxicity at the same time you're reminding me that these are people I actually do care about and Mm -hmm. that toxicity is a problem and I shouldn't run away from it I should try to give back in a way that uplifts these kids and you know I want to let them know that Prince is not this isn't the paradise that you're dreaming of and it's not the best (laughs) thing in the world to like it doesn't matter what school that you go to at the end of the day if you go you know I mean at my high school most everyone is going to a a renowned school and the the Mm. hierarchical projections that are made are so toxic so you're reminding me that it's actually more valuable to give back to that rather than to just run away and be like oh my Mm -hmm. god i hate all of this yeah well thank you i appreciate that i mean i think that conversation and the ideas you're thinking so um i think i said earlier i'm a service focus um senior fellow and actually the reason i was brought on is because i try to think about how can we serve in our locality? And so there's a really interesting TED talk by Ty Salasi. Um, she's an author and discussing like what locality is. And I think a lot of people, and a lot of people, I've had a lot of conversations around this at, at school. Um, a lot of people think like, oh, Kelton, you are such a good person and you're so noble for giving back to your hometown. And that has its own implications. Like I think a lot of people think, oh, Chambersburg is so poor and it's the worst place and how great of you for giving back. But like, I mean, I think it's really important to say, like, at least to consider, like, first, not everyone has the same ideal of home that I do. Like, some people don't even consider, like, people that live in New York City, they don't think New York City is their home. They think maybe their block is their home. They're not thinking, like, like for, like, the same, like, me. Like, Chambersburg is also not just the borough of Chambersburg. It's really all of the townships around it and whatnot. Like, there's so much more into that. But it makes me think, like, we all come from somewhere there's you don't just wake up one day thinking oh you know what like i'm interested in curbing educational inequality like you just like great if you do right like if you do call (laughs) me tell me because like i want to hear your story but like that just doesn't happen and so i think for me like really i find that rooted in like being from jamersburg and being in a place where my perspective is so much different like being home right now really highlights where I've been for the last three years, how different that is. I mean, I think those conversations are really important and they're really, really poignant to who we are going into Princeton and really who we are is like, not to get really big into this, but like who we are as people and, and where we end up after college and what we do, like those are really important points. I was gonna say the exact same thing, Susan. Like whenever you talk, we, we just see like how much you care about your hometown, how much you care about the people there. And I think that's something that's definitely very inspiring. Mm. Um, yes thank you I appreciate that um, our next piece is Princeton have you got any life hacks for us baby freshmen how do you like it so far yeah so I like to reflect a lot on my Princeton experience so I think um, 
for my first year at Princeton, like it was very tough. I had a lot of up and downs. Um, I mean, leaving, going away from home. Um, I said, I have a twin brother and like being away from him was tough. Being away from my family was tough coming in. Like, I really do think it was a roller coaster. I came in interviewed by 60 minutes, like being on national television like that, that's wicked. Like that in its own right is just craziness. Like I remember calling my, calling my mom and she's like, wait, that 60 minutes. And like, that's such a cool <laughs> story. Um, and there's Insane. a photo actually. Yeah. There's a photo actually that uh, a few, a buddy of mine, Oliver Wang took of me. I, I've always wanted to come find it, but um, also my freshman year, actually a few weeks out from the Ivy league heptagonals um, outdoor season, I actually took third place indoor, which was also another really big up in my Princeton experience, or at least my freshman year was being able to do that. Like I ended up injuring myself and, if we were in person, I could show, but I probably, I always go to the bat and say I had the gnarliest scar at Princeton. I have like a, <laughs> basically th- like my kneecap is sliced across it and I have like dots where the stitches were. So I ended up, I was, I was playing ultimate Frisbee with some teammates uh, behind <laughs> Forbes and fell on a sprinkler head. And so oh. there's a photo oh, no. of me. There's a, there's a photo of me watching myself in this like really amazing up watching 60 minutes, my face on the TV screen with me sitting, looking miserable on a chair with my, my leg and an inhibitor and a blue inhibitor. And I just look fed up. And I'm just like, I think like my first year, I had so much trouble fitting in. I really did nothing outside of being involved with uh CFP and then track fast forward to now. I was the first junior to win the sprint, the Princeton spirit, the spirit of Princeton award. That makes me sound so great too. Um, the Princeton spirit <laughs> award, I think in three years. So just for my involvement and in service on campus, being a student leader in, in athletics and whatnot. Um, and I'm involved with a lot. And I think until recently, really until maybe last year before COVID-19 hit, I had realized like I do belong at Princeton. Like I do deserve to be here. I mean, I was doing all of these things thinking like, oh, I'm going to make this addition to Princeton and it's going to make me feel better. And it was quite tough because I was, I was straddling two different worlds of I'm a Princeton student now. My, my dad had a really interesting quote before I went, before I made my college decision. Cause I was, I was very in between Cornell and then university of Pennsylvania, Princeton and, and West Point. And I liked Cornell cause it was the blue collar Ivy. And my father had the quote, he's like, don't matter once you get there you're gonna be white collar this is very funny chambersburg speak like you're gonna be a white collar once you get there so you might as well just stop (laughs) complaining and make a decision um and i think i was really straddling this idea of like i still want to hold this characteristic of being a blue collar kind of guy being gritty being put my head to the dirt and work straddling that with now being at princeton and being around really incredible really wealthy really elite people um, those two worlds never seemed to match with me. And I think the Spirit of Princeton Award kind of highlighted to me like I did deserve to be here. I think I got off a tangent, but I think that, I mean, I really appreciate being at Princeton. I mean, it's it's a it's something I couldn't imagine like ever, like years ago thinking about. And there's that quote again. Um, but it's really important to be like, I'm here and I'm able to be here and, and to be able to come to Princeton. I think it's really important because getting to highlight that to people in Chambersburg. Um, I think that's what's most important. And the thing I appreciate about Princeton the most is like, because of what I've been able to do that I've had the privilege and the opportunity to do every, 
everything is an opportunity to me. I've been able to to highlight that to people in my hometown and being able to see where, what they get to do and hopefully be an inspiration to them. Um, what's more important to me is being an inspiration to people in Chambersburg than being an inspiration to Princeton. I mean, I can't, I can't, I don't get to call myself an inspiration. Like that comes from someone else. But like, if someone was to see me as an inspiration, like I would much rather it come from being from someone from Chambersburg than someone from Princeton because everyone at Princeton is inspirational. Everyone's so incredible. And so I think that's what I really appreciate about Princeton. It gives me the ability to be, to be inspirational or to be someone that for the longest time growing up how I did and, and being who I was in Chambersburg, I didn't have the ability to say that. And I think that's very different than what most Princeton students would say. Mm -hmm. I definitely feel that surreal feeling about Princeton sometimes. Um, I remember I was out on a drive. Sometimes I just go for drives um, if I'm bored. And I was out on a drive and I was listening to music and I just thought, wow, this is like, this is my life now. How has this happened? And I just feel like very grateful for all of those opportunities that I've had. I really love this quote from, it was actually a previous episode over the summer of this podcast, but I think it was Daniela Alvarez. Love you, Daniela. She said that um, she learned to make Princeton work for her instead of her working for Princeton. And I think that is so important because this idea of like, do I belong here? Do I deserve to be here? You are Princeton. Princeton is not some other entity that you now have to fit yourself into. You are Princeton, right? You're a part of it. You're not an other. I mean, you know, there's a lot of structural issues that create that sense and definitely make it real. But in terms of the do I belong at Princeton, you're already there, right? So it is making Princeton work for you and not you trying to work for Princeton. Um, anyways, I just, that reminded me of that quote, but. <laughs> I, I think that really helped um, me actually, because at the start of semester, well, before, sem before the start of semester, I was like, is this me? Like, do I fit in here? And then I talked to Susan about it and she was like, you're here, like, just embrace it. Um, and I think that definitely helps me a lot. And that's like my um, my mentality now. Mm -hmm. um, but the next P is pursuit. So Kelton, what is something that you want to accomplish in your life? Have you got anything cool things in your bucket list? Yeah. Like um, <laughs> um, I think the one thing that's really important to me, uh, I, I realize I talk a lot, so I'm gonna try to shorten this a little bit. But I think what's your podcast one? Uh, I think what's really pertinent is like. I think being able to be an activist or a mentor in a certain way. And so I think I find that in education. I, when I grew up, I really wanted to be a teacher. And even for the longest time before I went to Princeton, before I knew I was going to Princeton, I was like, I'm going to be a teacher. And my, my parents were like, why would you do that? You're not going to make any money. Um, and I think becoming a, being at Princeton has made me realize like I can still be a part of my, like have that be a passion of mine and being able to, to work towards a more, accessible, equitable, equitable um, educational system for, for students all across this country. So, I mean, I envision, I guess, two things. One, hopefully getting a, a master's in public policy or a master's in ed. Just going on another, like, another thing that a few years ago, if you told me I'm going to get my master's degree, I would have shit myself. I wouldn't have believed it. <laughs> um, and, and getting that so I can kind of continue to work in those spaces. And then I think later, long later down the line, hopefully I live a, a healthy life being able to kind of come back to Chambersburg again and being able to give back to it in a certain way, having a foundation, having a nonprofit organization that's way more built than the ones that I work on today. Um, 
having that, I think, is really important to me. That would be awesome. Cool. Nice. So our next piece, puzzle. What is something that you've never understood? Uh, uh, this is a hard question to answer. I remember thinking about it and was like, what do I think about? Um, I really am intrigued by just music generally like this is a this is way off brand of what because i feel like i was talking about myself like <laughs> like all these things but like music to me just makes me so it's so intriguing to me and i i've taught myself i say this with a uh, i guess a grain of salt said my twin brother kyle is actually a vocal performance major um he's an opera singer which is just so so, cool. so wicked yeah it's so <laughs> like uh, throughout high school it was so weird because I was very much athletics and Kyle was very much arts and we just appreciated that. We, there was many twins, twin pairings in our high school that kind of did the same things. And I don't think me and Kyle ever, like I did Glee club, I guess my senior year. And, but even then it was never like, Oh, Kyle, like I'm better than you. Like, I think we both had very different, very different outlooks. But anyway, I think like music just so interesting to me and like how people come up with certain, certain sounds and, 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 how they like picture music like ahead of them like sampling to me is such the coolest thing i don't know if people look at like who sampled like that website but i think that is the coolest shit ever like like <laughs> like to take a to take like a song the bound sample is like one of these things so i actually did i actually did a junior um presentation about this in my english class in high school um bound to by kanye west is a sample and it's used so well in other songs so there's Bound to, and then I connected it to a song by Large Professor called Bound, where he went to Bound High School, not Bound Duh, but B O B O W N E. Um, and then the sample, like what that does for the song. And then recently, um, Tyler, the creator, used it for A Boy's a Gun, the same sample. And that mm -hmm. to me is so intriguing because I think, like, I was just like, wow, like they, for all three songs, they do something so intriguing and so different. And it's so, it's like, it blows my mind. I think like sampling and music just generally is something that I wish that I was more musically inclined. Like my brother, like I've, I've taught myself guitar and ukulele and things. I mean, I don't know how to read music, but I, I could be that guy who plays Wonderwall at, at, at the yeah, camp. Yeah, yeah. But um, music is just so intriguing and it's something I really appreciate. Um, yeah. That's definitely something that's puzzling to me. Bound to use samples from Ricky Spicer, the Ponderosa Twins plus one singer, and he actually yep, sued Kanye it. for using mm -hmm. it. Oh, wow. Yeah, and it also used Aha Honey from Brenda Lee's Sweet Nothings. But yeah. I didn't yeah. know that that and then if, lawsuit happened. Yeah, if you look up, um, like, who samples such I just probably spent hours on that website because it's like, <laughs> there's like, there's so many different songs. That's the one that comes to mind because I did the presentation on it. But like just sampling generally and like producers and how they choose music. Like I think there's the the meme song of like um, Jesus is the One by Zach Box. And that song's so funny. It's so silly. But like just watching a producer like Kenny Beats or other producers generally, like looking at a producer and how they create music and like literally it almost is like they visualize it if they're using software on their computer. Like that's so intriguing. Honestly, the, I could talk about the power of music for so long. Oh, yeah. um, and it, it, it's strange being a Princeton student and talking to other Princeton students who are not from the UK because my uh, sense of music is like very UK based. Yeah. And I could talk about rap from the UK for so long. So mm -hmm. seeing other perspectives about music, I think is so interesting. I, um, I have a teammate who's actually from the UK, Louisa, 
who we talk about music so much. And she put me on, I mean, I would say put me on, like, of course, there's so much like UK rap that is so interesting, but like Slow Tie. Yeah. I actually was listening wow. to, I was actually listening to his album earlier. I actually was listening to a single he does with James Blake, but like the song Ladies is such an interesting song. Actually, um, Northampton's Child, I was literally listening to that today and I was just like, holy crap, this is incredible. Like I could, I could probably talk about music for hours too. Like, <laughs> like that's where like a lot of my teammates where we'll talk and it's like Louisa will talk about mostly, mostly like Brockhampton and then Gorillaz. And then like I have other teammates where we'll just talk about rap music more often. And I think like just generally music is intriguing. You can put three minutes of really intense feelings and thoughts into three minutes. That's, that's wild to me. Slow Tie was like the last person that I thought that I thought you would say. See, um, <laughs> I had um I worked a I worked a um internship two summers ago in Chicago, and it was very funny. It was kind of the idea of like, oh, I come from this like rural area in Pennsylvania, and we got into a car. I got a car ride. I don't know why Corey would ever hear this, but if he did, he'd laugh. Um, we were riding down. I was in Chicago, which was incredible, and it's alright. It's a beautiful city. I love Chicago. I was in Chicago and we drove down to Southern Illinois and he looks at me. He's like, you know what? Turn on what you want to listen to. And I forgot what I turned on. I might've turned on Saba, Saba Pivot, um, who's actually a Chicago rapper based out of Chicago. I might've put on him or Brock Hanson. And he just looked at me like, what are you listening to? And then I, I listened to, at that time, I was listening to a lot of old Kanye West. And so I put on two words and he just looked at me. He's like, this is the same, same reaction. Like, this is not, what I expected at all. I mean, most people <laughs> look at me as like big, big white kid, 300 pounds, six foot three shot putter and look at me and think like that kid is listening to slow tie or Stormzy or anything. No one's like, no one's like, Oh yeah. You, you know, you're tasting music, but like, I, I mean, that's the thing about music too, is that's so intriguing is people can connect with music in so many different ways. And I, it's just, it's a huge puzzle that I think my whole life I'll be appreciative of. Okay, so our next tea is Perrier, which I have a I have a, a hot take about this. I saw this on the list when we first did um, when I did my episode of Peas in the Pod, and I had no idea what it was. I had to Google it because <laughs> it's just not a, it's not a thing in the UK. Um, it's the elitist form of water. <laughs> yeah, I've I've heard that. I'm educated now. Yeah, um, we literally just I mean we're we're just using it because we can't use tea. It doesn't start with P. Yeah. So Perrier, what's the sparkling yeah. water <laughs> so Kelton have you got any hot takes any tea you want to spill I um I was saying this to a friend of mine um are you in writing seminar right now or is that so writing, uh, in spring. writing seminar I think every student will say it's the worst class and I agree with that I think it is like the worst class but I think it is also <laughs> the most important class that you will ever take at Princeton this is and a I hot think take not, not because, not <laughs> look, not because, I mean, I think writing is important and being able to con convey what you're saying and create an argument is important. I mean, it's, it's the structural foundation for why we're even at this place. But um, I think it was important because it allows me to figure out like how to do all the shit I have to do in a week, all the class assignments, all the homework, all the meetings, all that. Like it helped me figure out like, oh, Princeton's the big leagues. Like I got a lot of stuff <laughs> I have to do. And I mean, I think that's a hot take because when you first say like, oh yeah, writing sounds the most important class I've taken, people are like, what the hell are you talking about, Calvin? Like, it's the worst class. And I agree with that, but it's just, 
something about having to write essay after essay after essay was really helpful in my ability to say, okay, I've got an essay in two weeks. How do I plan from there? And how do I get myself in a good track to be able to do good work? I loved writing some. So I'm actually not, like, I'm not anti your hot take. I'm just saying it's very hot. Like you said, people will disagree. I mean, I, as someone who likes writing, I'm not going to hate writing some. Like, I think it's important. (laughs) I also think it depends on your professor, whether they teach it well. But I think if taught well, it is definitely very important for sure. I mean, I don't think, like, I didn't love writing some of them. I do think it's important. I don't know if it's something I should look forward to or dread for my spring semester. I think you should Probably get, I think, yeah, I mean, if you dread it, you're not going to have fun time. So try your best yeah, to, yeah, definitely enjoy the process. I do think, though, more of the writing side should be taught. And what I mean by that is the structure, like the whole thesis evidence situation. I get it. It's important. You're going to need that for your junior paper and senior thesis. But I have seen in peer editing Princeton students still need writing lessons on like grammar and, (laughs) you know, foundational choosing to be active over passive, not spitting out a three line sentence that can be uh, narrowed down to one concise phrase. I know I'm I'm sounding like a writing nerd right now, but I think that if that was also incorporated, it would be even better. Okay, cool. Okay, so yeah, I'm going to link the Chambersburg Holiday Book Drive. Is there a website? Kellen? there's a facebook page i okay, mean i mean if the... people if people if people are like giving me money i'd shit myself it'd be incredible <laughs> I, I mean i think like i think um a lot of that stuff is done like just by hard work i mean we started i, I make that big announcement of oh we raised five thousand bucks we, i think over the last two donation seasons we've given fifteen thousand, but we do that with very little money i mean we i mean it would be really appreciated but I mean, I really just appreciate, like, the link in Chambersburg, but they don't have to donate. Yeah, I'll link it. I guess really proud of the project, I guess. Sounds amazing. Okay, cool. So our next P is publication. Take Mm. it away. Publication. Uh, This was hard because I think I'm known as the book guy at home, like, just because of running a book drive and everything. I think I really, I, I, with the Amplify Black Voices campaign that we were running, I really tried to challenge myself to read more, more interesting, like more diverse authors and more diverse voices. So um, I actually gave a list of like recent reads that I had done. So Fun Home by Alison Bechdel was really interesting. I actually read that one sitting. That's a really good book. Um, I read my favorite memoir to this point is probably Acid by the Children, which sounds wicked, but it's by Flea. Um, who's the basis for the Red Hot Chili Peppers it is a beautiful book. I think like just being able to, it's the same, it's, I think it contingent around like my thoughts around music, like seeing someone who I really appreciate as a musician, write and tell their story, I think is interesting. Um, my favorite fiction publication, I have no clue. There's a lot, probably, um, the brief wondrous life of Oscar Wilde by Uno Diaz. Um, it's actually a book I read for an English course at Princeton. And it was kind of another one of those things where I was reading it till like 3 a.m., which is very out of my norm because I'm in bed by like 10 or 10.30. But another really interesting read. How do you find, or do you find time to like read books of fun outside of like class reading? Because that's something I'm struggling with at the moment. I, I mean, I definitely think that it really depends. Like, like I can, I mean, I have this and then I have all of these books over here. I would wow. say I've read a decent portion of them. 
I've bought a lot of these books. I will say that like I get paid fairly generously through the RCA stipend. I appreciate it. And so I buy a lot of books. Um, I just find myself like sometimes I'll get in the mood to read. Like I don't, I'm, I don't have a, a schedule of like, Oh, like I'll read at bedtime, but there are some times like, especially around last year, I found myself where I was reading, reading books just because I wanted to read. And that's kind of how it happens. That's fair. That's fair. I, I, I guess I just need to make time for it instead of just going on TikTok or whatever. I mean, hey, dude, um, TikTok's fun. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the next P that you chose is pain. I think this was hard to describe. Um, I mean, I think that, like, as someone, like, I talked about cutting my knee open, and as someone who's, like, dealt with just personal struggle, I mean, coming from Chambersburg, me and my family faced a lot. I won't get too deep into it, but like people that know us know that it was quite tough for a while there, especially when I was a little younger. Um, I've always, I've always, for some reason had this like philosophy of like this too shall pass. So like, even when I cut my knee, I was like, you know what is what it is. We'll get through it. And I think that's a really privileged thing to say, like to think like I will get through it. But like, I always think about that when I'm stressed with academics, like, Oh, like, we'll get through it. Like midterms was this week. Right. And so like, at one point I was like, man, this shit sucks. Like this is terrible. <laughs> um, but I was, I also have in the back of my mind, it like, I will get it done. It will get finished. It'll be good kind of mentality. And I think I'm really appreciative of that mentality because I know that's quite tough to do. And so I think like, that's just something I've always tried to put myself toward. I've definitely felt that feeling about midterms um so in the uk we we do exams like all of them at the end of the year so having exams that are graded and actually count towards stuff in the middle of the year is such like a strange thing to me and i think it would have been a lot more overwhelming if i wasn't on zoom because mm -hmm. zoom just doesn't feel real yeah um, yeah i yeah. tell all my students all my advisees like this is not how this usually would be <laughs> uh <laughs> this will be okay yeah i mean it is i mean it really is like even with the, all of this like it's we don't know what's going to happen like we could get an email i guess next week and say hey we're going to be back on campus or we're not going to be back on campus um but i think that it is very it just kind of is something i've tried to do try to try to stay on that path of like look it's going to be fine it's going to be okay that reminds me of a quote um c.s lewis and i'm going to paraphrase because i think he uses man but it's don't judge someone by where they are, but by how far they've come. And you don't know how far someone's come. And I think that mm -hmm. whenever you judge, you judge where they are. You judge by their first impression experiences. Are they a private school student? Are they a public school student? Uh, what kind of clothes do they wear? Do they own AirPods? <laughs> you know, you don't know where, where, how far someone has come. And at least that mentality has helped me empathize because all the situations that have happened in my life that no one knows about, you know, and I'm going to assume the same for them. I'm going to assume that they have shit that they've struggled with that no one knows about. And that's a good way to position yourself when you're trying to empathize. Yeah. I totally agree with that. Yeah, same. Okay. Our next piece person. Do you have any people you want to shout out? I just shout out a thousand people. Um, shout out mom and dad. Shout out. I mean, I definitely think like, there's just, I just want to shout out definitely. I think the one person that I haven't shout out yet is Momo Wolapaye, um, my DSL. He's just the work he's doing right now for students is incredible. 
I mean, he was the FSI DSL. He just had he just had a daughter recently. He uh, she's beautiful baby. Um, she's also a monster, and she jumps on our zooms. But Momo has done such great work for students so far, um, and I think he deserves a shout out. I mean, all DSLs, every every Princeton staff member who's doing work right now. I mean, mm -hmm. those that are in the dining hall as a janitorial staff, people that are work that work in the Frisk Campus Center library staff you name it like they all deserve shout outs because they're doing i mean right now it's quite tough for them and so i definitely think like i guess i just want to say i appreciate what you've done maybe sad if i don't get to see everyone in person again but it's definitely and I'm, i mean just so grateful for the work that they've done for my personal experience for the last three years i like that that was nice okay next to is project are there any projects you're working on right now that you want to talk about i am outside of all the stuff that I've done in Chambersburg, Chambersburg College, Chambersburg College Book Drive. Um, there are two projects that I've been working on. One that was kind of shut down by COVID-19 and I'm not sure we'll run, so I won't talk too much about it, but I, I, in last spring, I'd received the Davis Projects for Peace Grant. I was the Princeton recipient. And it was a project called We Have It Within. And basically I was bringing a large sum of money to six to seven uh, Chambersburg students and working on giving them the tools to get specific working skills, college ready skills, getting them internships, giving them experiences that will look good on college applications, working to get first and low income students, these skills that is quite tough to do in a, in a rural area with a lack of resources. Hoping that I can try to do that this summer. I'm not sure what'll happen. The future is a big ball of abyss that just can't, don't know what's going to go and happen. Um, right now, I'm working um, with a couple of Princeton alumni and a couple of Princeton professors on Caleb's Academy. So this is a, a startup nonprofit organization that is working to for student for first gen low income students who are um, had to defer or are not on college right now because of COVID nineteen. Um, working to give them college ready skills, peer mentorship. Um, they're going to do a cornerstone a cornerstone um, course with Princeton faculty, other faculty members across the country really, and trying to build their college readiness skills. So I'm, I work as the vice president of operations for that right now. Um, it's a lot of fun. I work with some really incredible people uh, working on the student mentorship curriculum side and then um, working to help the student experience. Um, and that's been a lot of fun. That's something I'm working on recently. Nice, nice. The next P you chose is Princetonian. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely want to shout out Madison because she, I think she's very underappreciated. Like she does some really wicked stuff. I mean, she's she's on the student council, student volunteers council executive board. Um, she works with PNS at Princeton Nursery School as a project leader. She's actually been on Zoom with the children, little four or five year old children over Zoom. I can only imagine. Um, she recently <laughs> wow. wrote the the Princetonian article, um, and she's just someone really important to me. And of course, I mean she she's my partner, and so so I think she deserves a big shout out because of the work she does for Princeton, but also then the work she does back home. She's very similar. She helps with the book drive. She does her own work, um, and so I just think she deserves a shout out. Shout out Madison. Yes, 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 yes. Shout out Madison. And the final P chose is priceless. And I know you talked about sixty minutes earlier. And you're gonna to have to explain to me what 60 minutes is because I have no idea. Yeah, yeah. So 60 minutes is a. It's I think it's the longest running. It is. 
Sunday. I can pull it up just to make sure. Yeah, the longest running nightly. Well, it's not night. It's every week, like Sunday night, they'll do news. Um, and so they've done a countless of uh, countless exposés and plenty of journalism. I, I mean, the the list. I mean, I think they've been doing this for 20, 30, 40 years. They've been forever. Um, Susan could probably fact check that, but. Yeah, so it currently holds the record for the longest continuously running program of any genre scheduled during American Network primetime. It's aired at 7 wow. p.m. Eastern on Sundays since, so every single Sunday, since December 7th, 1975. Wow. Oh, wow, that's like 45 years. That's way more than I thought it was. Whoa. Yeah, <laughs> and it debuted in 68, but it's been continuously running mm-hmm. since 75. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I had the opportunity to to sit on a panel of people I really looked up to. I mean, really, really incredible people. I was a first year at the time. Um, I was actually only a month into my Princeton experience when the interview happened. So wow. a lot of the questions were like, what's Princeton been like? And I'm like, I can't tell you because I've only been here <laughs> for a month. But I mean, people like that, that I had the opportunity to, to, to look up to um, and being on the same panel, being on the same level as them, that was really great. And then and also then in the end of when it actually aired, so we did the interview, I think, in October with Scott Pelley. This was side-by-side side with the Gates Scholarship, um, and they interviewed some Gates scholars. I actually interviewed, I can always say I was on the same feature as Bill Gates. That's kind of cool to say. They interviewed Bill and Melinda Gates, and then when it aired, and I think it was May, I mean, it is the funniest photo. I want to get it framed, honestly, because it's just like <laughs> me sitting there. I look so pissed. I just look so mad. Like, <laughs> my life sucks. Like <laughs> I can't compete. I can't, I couldn't walk. Like I was, I literally couldn't walk. Like I was in a scooter using a scooter. I couldn't go to class. I was bedridden for like a week. I had maybe wow. left my bed to use the bathroom. Like this would have been one of the first times I left my bed and I'm just sitting there like my parents back home. They're like so excited. They're like, my son's going to be on <laughs> primetime television. And I'm just sitting there. All I can think about is like, damn it. I'm just so mad. Um, that is, pro- that is probably like, I think that'll be a really funny story I can tell to people for the rest of my life. That is a priceless moment. Mm-hmm. Now we have our final P, which is one that you don't know about. All right. Um, and it is pop culture. So what is a TV show, movie, artist, or anything like that that you'd recommend? See, I don't... I get I get dragged by my friends. Cause I don't really watch that much TV. I don't watch a lot of movies. Like, I've never been... Everyone's like, oh, like Disney movies. Like, I never watched Disney movies when I was a kid. I don't even know what, yeah. I, like, as a kid, I don't know what the hell I was doing, to be honest. Like, I tried to answer the question, <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. I mean, I watched SpongeBob. Like, SpongeBob was cool when I was a kid. Um, <laughs> oh, we got to talking about music. There's so many. I need to know who are your. I have to look <laughs> through albums. my Spotify. It can be, it can be al- albums, too. Oh, albums? Because I'm sure you're. I'm Do you su- listen to albums? I'm sure you're super into album sequencing. No? Oh yeah. Like yeah. I think, so I, I have an argument. I have an argument with a friend. Well, I usually argue most of my music at Princeton is either Louisa or Greg Schollers, who's uh, a sprinter in a track and field team. We'll talk about music all the time. Uh, I guess recently, and he'll make, he'll laugh if he would, if he would hear this, he would laugh because he had been telling me to listen to the spillage village album, which I guess is a, I, I'm not going to, you can fact check this, but I think it's a conglomerate of, Atlanta rappers. Um, I know Jid is on there. I know Earth Gang is on there. Um, and that album was pretty cool. I thought it was really awesome. 
but I had an argument with him about like basically I would like to argue that Igor Tyler the Creator album is like the best mm-hmm. album of the 2010s 2020s like best rap album wow. because of because of the sequencing because of the story like I'm a big fan I also I guess another hot take is I think I mean I, this makes me sound like a like a I would like to say that I'm not a stereotypical like rap music listener but a lot of people will say like oh J Cole 24 Forest Hill Drive like is awesome I think For Your Eyes Only is a better album. Like, I think that's a hot take to a lot of people. That is a hot take. I mean, I think the music that I listen to the most is, like, Steve Lacey from the internet. And Steve Lacey is also just another artist, um, solo artist. Plaid music, like, that is genreless, I think is by far, like, it's, it's so creative. It's interesting to listen to. And most of those artists, like, Still Woozy, Steve Lacey, the internet. I mean, Tom Mish. I could go on and on, but like artists like that are kind of like genreless, are always so interesting mm-hmm. to listen to. Um, I guess Tom Mish is also another UK loyal. Um, loyal Carner is someone I really. Oh, what a guy! I love him so much. I've got I've I've got two of his albums in my car, and they're like ones I listen to. Well, uh, so I have um I have a CD collection, like so I I mm. used to when I was a kid I used to I would take bike rides i lived like six miles away from the library i would bike my like six miles to the library and i would get three albums they had a rule you can only take three albums and so what i would do is i would first it started like i would listen to an album and then if i like three songs i would save money up to go buy the album i think the first album i bought might have been the black keys brothers i think that might have been it and then from there like i've always had this rule of like if there's three songs on an album that i like if i'm like even now if i'm streaming I'll go purchase it. So like, wow. I can't remember the last album I bought, but CDs are underrated. I agree. 100%. I appreciate. I think that's a hot take as well. I appreciate albums, things like that. Um, I don't know. Like, it's really tough to give one recommendation. I guess I gave a thousand, but they're all good. Listen to music. Just I recommend music generally. Whatever you listen, yes. to, mm-hmm. listen to it. So I was never a CD person. I was always like Spotify, Apple Music kind of stuff. And then I bought. There was a CD um, of this album of a rapper in the UK called JME. Um, you might know him. Uh, and he released an album that was only on vinyl and CD. And I was like, oh, I'll go and get the CD. And then when I was in uh, the CD like shop, I saw the, like four other albums that I wanted to get. So now I've got like a collection of uh, those plus like another three that I got after that. Um, and I'm like the CD guy now. Yeah, I think I might have 20 plus CDs. Which is funny because like CDs are irrelevant now. Like mm-hmm. CDs, but like there's this they album. They don't even put CD players in laptops anymore. No, like C- no, no. CDs are like I'm trying to think of albums I bought. I bought Humans by the Gorillas. Uh, a lot of Beatles, a lot of Fleetwood Mac. Things that I want to listen to. A lot of I think I've got Kanye West albums. Mm-hmm. Of course. Yeah, I mean it's. It's something about like sitting, even like I'll do the same thing, being in a rural town, like I drive 30 minutes to get to where I want to go. And so it's really easy to say, okay, I'm going to listen to five songs on a CD, just back to back to back. That's why if you buy albums you like, then it's kind of hard to go wrong. Like I appreciate a shuffle playlist, but there's something about the story that's being told by an album that I think is much better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like I feel like not to be that person, but I feel like, you know, in this world of, top 100 billboard singles in this world of what gets a song to be listened to and that song only 
album sequencing mm-hmm. gets lost. I think the first song, and this is not, I'm not someone who is as versed in music nearly as much as, as well as you are, but the first album that I think I realized, it was definitely Kendrick. Yeah, it was Damn, I think, the first album that I heard, and I was like, this is an album, not a song, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same like, I mean, Damn, but also like, makes me think, I, I think I really started getting rap music with A Tribe Called Quest. I remember buying two Tribe albums and just being like, I actually have a book. I have a book by A Tribe Called Quest. Um, and like just really appreciating like storytelling. Like I think I like rap music and hip hop music the best because it all it ultimately tells the best story. Like that's when, mm-hmm. I, when I listened to Northampton's Child by Slow Tie today, I was like, holy shit. Slow Tie is telling a pretty important story right now. And um, I think like with albums is the same way. Not like each song tells a story. Like, you know, I mean, maybe now, like, there's pundits and heads thinking, like, oh, this song's just to make money, and maybe that's the case, but, like, each song is written to tell something, and so the yeah. thing is with an album, I think it's so, it's so underrated sitting down and listening to an album by its own. I think just the act of putting the CD in, like, the CD player, it just, it just changes it for me as well. I don't know what it is. It's just, like, a special thing. It, like, there's more of a... I have the physical copy. So yeah. I have more of a connection to that music now. I think it's also like, I mean, as a, as a student, and Susan, you might think the same thing. Like, you listen to music when you study, maybe, or like 100%. if you're in the class, you listen to music, right? But like, like something about saying, you know what, I'm going to sit down. This is why I appreciate the Saturation albums by Brockhampton, too, although I don't have those on CD. Something about like literally sitting down and saying, I'm going to put my 100% attention towards this music. Like, that is a very. It's a very important feeling that I think is like something that's almost universal too. like people listen to albums, maybe not like younger generations, but at some point, like you're going to listen to a full album and think, oh, that was way different than what I usually do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that's very true. It's funny because if you if I look at my study playlist music, because I I can't do work, I can't do anything without listening to music. But at the same time, because of that, I don't listen to great music when I study intentionally, right? <laughs> like if it's a song that's going to capture all of my attention, I'm not writing my essay. Mm-hmm. So I literally have study playlists for the sole purpose of losing myself in them, but not to the extent where I'm in love with the music itself. But yeah, I'm a huge movie person. So to me, I'm a very visual kind of person, but my brother who's totally, he, you know, he's a music guy. He'll always tell me, sit down listen to music it's it's like a movie treat it like one yeah definitely i think that combination of music in movies is something so special as well so there was there was a movie that i talked about on my episode called the five bloods and like continually throughout the movie there's like a marvin gay soundtrack in the background and um marvin gay was like uh, well the movie's about the vietnam war and about like the black experience in the vietnam war and that was like a big thing for Marvin Gaye, talking about like the brothers in Vietnam. Um, so like the whole soundtrack in that movie is so powerful. Yeah. I mean, that's why I think, I don't think this is a hot take, but I think that's why Black Panther is also so like important to culture. I mean, to have Kendrick Lamar and TDE make a whole album on top of it, like being the like, mm-hmm. first black superhero, like that itself is like, I mean, La La Land is the same way. Hamilton is literally the biggest musical in the world ever. Kyle makes fun of me because it's like, there's so much better out there, but um, we love Hamilton too. But like, I mean, music for movies, like plays and things like that. Like, I think that's going to become more popular too. Like, I think it adds a lot. Into like, the Spider-Verse. 
great soundtrack um yeah as someone who has loved movies all my life i do regret not fully understanding and appreciating the soundtrack behind movies until a later stage obviously now i do a lot more but i literally have a playlist on my spotify called cinematic high and Mm -hmm. there's this sense that i can't even pinpoint and i don't even think that gives it justice but there are certain soundtracks to movies that that will literally put me in the movie and I don't need the visuals. I don't need to see the characters. I see it through the song. And that's so powerful. I think what happens for me, um, the ending of Jojo Rabbit, um, David Bowie, Heroes, like that, I actually watched, that's kind of another thing, like seeing songs being used different way, like that, and then also seeing Heroes used. It was very funny. Me and Madison watched The Perks of a Wallflower, Being a Wallflower. And the one song, they're all trying to figure out, like, what is this song? Is like Heroes. And I'm sitting there like, this is such a, popular song david bowie's uh, soundtrack in so many movies it's been iconic yeah that and then yell electric light orchestra like mr blue mr. Yeah. mr blue sky um like all those like there's definitely songs out there made just for movies too like the start of guardians of the galaxy is so, like i'll go and watch the movie just to watch like the songs at the start and what's his name star lord yeah that, that's, that's his name right just like dancing to it it's, i think it's so good <laughs> yeah Okay, cool. I think we can wrap up. I've I've enjoyed this conversation. I hope you have as well. No, I love it. Any final words? Thanks for having me. I mean, I really appreciate it. And think again, I think what all you are doing, sharing these stories, is we print it to the issues I brought up and thinking about that. Like, I might have talked a lot about being from Chambersburg and doing all this stuff, but we just had a riveting conversation about music. Like, I'm much more than the service I do, or much more than being from Chambersburg. And I think this podcast is really a a highlight of that so i guess thank you for having me and allowing me to speak about myself thank you yeah yeah thank you i learned a lot and i learned Mm. a lot from everyone i speak to on this podcast and yeah i mean it just goes back to the the whole echo chamber thing that we you know always refer to about princeton you're rarely sitting down in front of someone and you know talking about things you wouldn't talk about outside of an academic space outside of that space where you're just trying to get an a you know Mm. No, yeah, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, Kelton, thanks for joining us. Um, I've had a good conversation. I, ho- I hope you have as well. Um, I hope to see you soon on campus, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Yes, thank you for having me. Before you go, just a final reminder that you can order your very own If I Was President card game today. You've probably run out of your entire Cards Against Humanity deck already, so I recommend that you check this new game out. Thank you, If I Was Game, for sponsoring this episode. Go to ifiwasgame.com to learn more and order your game today. Peas in a Pod is a podcast by the Peas in a Pod Network, created by Susan Beck. Our executive producer is Alicia Somani. Our associate producer is Anna Chung. Our marketing director is Ali Rubenstein. And our graphic designer is Jani Tumapit. Follow us on Instagram at Peas in a Pod to participate in our Peas in a Poll series, where you can voice your opinions on current events and various topics, and our Peas in a Playlist series, where you can vote on or pitch your favorite songs to be added to our Spotify playlist. You can also follow us on Twitter at Peas in a Pod Network. If you would like to be a guest on the show, if you have any partnership inquiries, or if you have questions or comments in general, go ahead and email us at peasinapodnetwork at gmail.com. Peas in a Pod is not affiliated with Princeton University.